Welcome to a new episode of 1869, the Cornell University Press Podcast. I'm Jonathan Hall. This episode, we will be talking with Eric Zillow. Eric is Associate Professor of European and World History and Chair of the Department of History and Philosophy at the University of New England, where he specializes in histories of tourism, nationalism, and the British Isles. Zillow is the author and editor of several books, including A History of Modern Tourism and the award-winning Making Ireland Irish. Tourism and National Identity Since the Irish Civil War. He is Editor-in-Chief of Journal of Tourism History, and he is also now the editor of the brand new Cornell University Press series, Histories and Cultures of Tourism, which we are launching in just a few weeks. We caught up with Eric in his office in Maine. Hello, Eric. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Jonathan. It's good to be here. Thanks for coming on. Uh, We're very excited to and very proud to announce a new series Uh, with you as the series editor, Histories and Cultures of Tourism. Um, It's going to be launched uh, very soon, most likely within the next month. Um, And it's the one and only series on the history of tourism. First question I have, why have historians shied away from studying tourism and have left it to be studied primarily by anthropologists and economists? Yeah, that's a a really good question. Um, And I think one that has a variety of different answers, um, some of which are historical, others, well, they're all historical, I suppose, Um, but going back further or not in history, I think maybe part of it is that uh, studying tourism itself is a fairly recent phenomenon, even for anthropologists. They got interested in it before historians did, I think, because anthropologists especially ethnographers, really have to be very concerned with uh, the gaze and their relationship to the communities that they study uh, in a way that is not as true for historians, perhaps. Um, So there's already that kind of dialogue built in there. Uh, For historians, part of the answer is probably that tourists have a bad reputation and have had a bad reputation since the origins of the pastime. Hmm. Uh, It arguably originates in the 18th century with a practice called the Grand Tour, where uh, members of the landed elite would go into Italy and France, and the, the goal was they were going to learn languages, they were going to develop good taste, they were going to make important contacts that they could use when they were Uh, actually ruling. I mean, we're talking about sort of 16-year-olds to 18-year-old men, mostly. Um, And when they went on the grand tour, as you would expect for young men of that age, they tended to seek out prostitutes and alcohol and gambling and to learn very little. And so tourists, right from the get-go, start to develop this kind of negative reputation for being somewhat trivial. So I think that's part of it. But another is the reality that historians have or were for a very long time concerned with with work more than with play. They were concerned more with relationship to the means of production than with anything else. What you did in your free time was uh, trivial. What you did at work mattered. 
And so it took quite a while to start to realize that, in fact, that's not true. And so that started to change uh, in the late 70s and early 80s with a turn towards social history. But then it really picked up steam and relates, I think, to tourism after the end of the Cold War. Interesting, interesting. Now, just as a, a side note, you mentioned the Grand Tour. Um, it just brought to mind uh, there's many cars that are named Gran Turismo. I, I <laughs> beckoning to that, that uh, historical uh, time period or, or that, that, that historical uh, framework? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that the term Grand Tour, uh, the Grand Tour proper, what historians tend to talk about when they're talking, when they're writing about it, was a 17th, 18th century phenomenon that really ends with the uh, French Revolution and the Napoleonic Wars. Okay. But the term is uh, used a lot in the 19th century to talk about kind of elites, Americans, uh, and others who go to Europe on the, the grand tour. So they're drawing on that terminology. Uh, with the development of car culture in the 20th century, um, the idea of uh, a, a particular model of car, a particularly large touring sedan sort of vehicle is a grand touring car, mm -hmm. um, cold. And so I think that's what the car companies are referring to, really. It's the, the kind of uh, Rolls-Royce Silver Ghost or Hispano yeah. uh, Sueza or something like that. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, so now within this series, uh, what specific subjects do you hope to be published? Well, so what we left it intentionally broad. And the reason for that is that uh, tourism encompasses a lot of different practices. Um, the history of it is, because we're really talking about a historiography that developed after 1989, 1990, is still developing in a, in a in a big way, which is part of the reason for needing a series. Um, but as you start, as historians turned their attention to it after the Cold War, after they started looking at consumption more than production, um, it became clear that that reaches into all aspects of life. Tourism has an impact on the environment and the environment on tourism. Um, politics and tourism are intimately connected in ways that one might not expect. Uh, tourism is a place where we encounter people who are not necessarily like us culturally. And so it becomes a place where we start thinking about our identity and the identity of others. Um, tourism happens in rural environments about which we know a little bit more than we do about tourism, which happens in urban environments. Um, there are different niches, different types of, of tourist practice about which there's very little written. Um, uh, tourism is a transnational story as well as a national story. It's connected to empire. It's connected to mobility and technology. It has implications for memory. Um, with all of those different subheadings, the idea that we were, would, would limit it too much uh, just seem to defeat the purpose. But we really are interested in, in smart storytelling, in uh, books that aren't necessarily overly theoretical, but are, are, are clearly uh, rooted in, in some theory. Um, so, you know, they're, they're smart, uh, but that might cover 
any one of those different topics. Um, you know, for something that was deemed trivial for a long time, tourism is a pretty complicated and fascinating thing. Nice, nice. Is there a book uh, in the past, say, four to five years that, that uh, check, you know, there's a checklist for all those uh, attributes that you just mentioned? Is there is one of your favorite books on tourism that comes to mind? Oh, boy, there's, there's lots of them. I mean, one of the kind of foundational texts in terms of politics and tourism was by Shelley Baranowski. It's a book called Strength Through Joy. And that one is about the Nazi leisure program, uh, the KDF, Kraftrechte. And the KDF, uh, when the Nazis banned all of the labor organizations after they took power, they needed to create new labor organizations and they needed to look for ways to try to attract workers. And so one of the ways that they did that was by forming this organization that would provide affordable holidays, um, but also holidays that had a, a political punch so they could train better Nazis. Wow. And this organization winds up having a cruise ship line and having uh, major resorts. Uh, they are heavily involved in the development of the Volkswagen uh, Beetle. Tourism and cars make a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. uh, the, some of the earliest stages of, of uh, automobile history are wealthy people using cars to tour. Okay. Use them for endurance events, and they were so the cars were so unreliable that it was true adventure to go out and do this. <laughs> um, you see this with Paris Dakar, still, I guess. That, that's that, right, and it's coming out of the same kind of tradition, I think. Although the cars have gotten more reliable. Yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and, and and also, it's not a life or death situation. Like there, you can call someone and say we're broken down in the middle of the desert. Right. No, the it, the, the the guy who did the first transcontinental car trip. Uh, Horatio Nelson Jackson had okay. a mechanic with him, and even at that, he had to stop. Yeah, he, had a he had a mechanic. Oh, he had a mechanic. Oh, okay, that makes sense. And then he had to stop periodically and at blacksmith shops, and so they could forge new parts for the car <laughs> to, to put together. And it, <laughs> it's pretty insane stuff. Um, but at any rate, it, it once the Model T came out, and pretty much everybody could afford a car that became aspirational. People really wanted a car. Sure, sure. And so the German, the Nazis, when they looked at this, uh, and they you know, were looking at trying to get people to travel, uh, at trying to gain support. Part of the reason they want people to travel is if, if you encounter uh, the landscape, if you encounter, I mean, it's blood and soil nationalism, right? If you encounter the landscape, you get to know the people better in sort of Nazi thought. And so by getting out in a car, and they, they actually designed curves in the Autobahn so that you'd get a particular view. So, I mean, they're really thinking about this stuff. So you, you, get, in the, you get in a car and you can go out and you can learn to be German. And if, you, if the state has provided you with a car that is affordable and reliable, then you're gonna be that much more anxious to support the state. So developing a people's car was, Good policy. Wow. That text um, was one of the first ones, certainly, that I ran across that showed how intertwined politics and tourism are. There was a, a more recent book a couple of years ago by Catherine Cox uh, called Tropical Whites. 
And this book looks at the interconnectedness of changing ideas about health, um, ideas about race, um, and environment, and weaves together these kind of complicated stories that, that get it just how important and, and interesting the topic is. We can come up with books that are going to do that. I think we're really on to something exciting. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. That sounds fascinating. Um, why was Cornell University Press chosen for the series? Uh, Cornell was chosen for a variety of reasons. Um, one is that it's a press that already has a very strong reputation in global history in anthropology and the connections between anthropology and tourism history wind up, uh, tourism, anthropology ends up informing tourism historians quite a lot. Um, and then also in sociology, which also has quite a lot to say about tourism. So there was that kind of basis in different uh, thematic topics, different fields. Uh, it's a press that has published some really fantastic titles in tourism history already uh, and has some new ones coming out, or has another one coming out very soon. Um, so there was that. And then there's an interesting uh, historical note as well with Cornell uh, that doesn't necessarily tie to the press so much, but it, it creates a really nice synergy, at least in my mind, which is that Cornell was the second university in the world to open a hotel school. The first one opened on the eve of World War I in uh, Germany, in Dusseldorf. And just a few years later, in 1922, uh, Cornell opened the hotel school, which really becomes a model for a lot of what's going to happen later on in terms of training people to be involved in the tourism industry, to be involved in hospitality. Uh, it's a kind of foundation for tourism studies. Um, and I don't know, I think that's pretty neat. So we've got an amazing press that publishes amazing books, and there's this neat little historical tie-in, which I think is pretty cool. I think that's pretty cool too. Yeah, I like it a lot. I like it a lot. Um, so if there is a uh, professor uh, who is currently working on a manuscript, uh, uh, what, what would you recommend um, to prospective authors coming to you? Um, what are, what are the, some of the things that you're looking for? Um, what are some, what's some advice you'd give to them? Um, well, so first of all, reach out to either Emily Andrews at, at Cornell or me. Uh, to talk about the idea and, and uh, would love to, to talk about things. As I say, we're looking for books that are very readable. We're looking for books that are very smart and that merge those two things together. So an author is not going to want to get mired down in a lot of post-colonial uh, terminology. Um, that's you know not be of a lot of interest. Um, at the same time, a, a book that's just sort of thoughtlessly narrative isn't going to be of much interest either. So really think about pitching something that you want to sit down to read and that's going to say something interesting. Um, I personally love that tourism connects to all these other things. I love that. I mean, I, I think tourism history is positioned in some ways the way environmental history was a few years ago. Environmental history is kind of cool because it winds up connecting into all these different things, into politics, into ecology, into uh, anthropology, into, you know, all this stuff. And I think tourism does the same thing. Um, so books that make those kinds of connections are particularly exciting to me. Um, so I'd be really interested in those kinds of projects. 
Uh, as I say, we want, we're casting the net very widely uh, to, to take in a lot of different things and a lot of different time periods. Tourism is usually seen as modern, but I'm really interested in the origins of it. And there is an argument to be made that it goes back to antiquity, that it goes to the Middle Ages. And so I'm keen to see titles on that kind of thing as well. Yeah, the, the image that comes to mind is I've seen graffiti from Roman soldiers, uh, you know, on the, on the pyramids. Those were, I mean, they, it was in an army, obviously, but there's also a tourism aspect to it as well. Yeah, and it becomes tricky in terms of defining tourism. That, that can be a little bit of a challenge, which is why there's a debate. Um, I tend to see it as something where the primary motivation of travel is leisure. Um, but there were people in antiquity, we just published a, a, an essay in Journal of Tourism History, uh, there, who, and this author argues that uh, actually in, the, in antiquity there were quite a lot of people who really did see their travel as a way of having a lot of fun or of learning things, uh, of experiencing things. And, and the author actually looks at that graffiti you mentioned. And because some of that graffiti has, it, it's more than just, uh, you know, um, uh, Antonio was here. Yeah. It, it goes deeper right. and talks a little bit more and it's, it's, it's more reflective than that, which is pretty striking. Um, so I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in exploring that. Yeah, sounds like there's so many different avenues you can take with with the series, and uh, we're really excited to have you as the series editor. And I think you could have a lot of fun with it. Yeah, I hope so. I mean, I I just the more I learn about, I didn't set out to be a tourism historian. You know, I, I set out to study nationalism. Okay. And then I started realizing that tourism is a way that people work out their national identity. And they work it out by producing tourism products that they're going to present. If you go to Ireland, you're going to a place that you want to be different than the place you came from. Not too different, but different. And so what does that mean? You have to work that out on the production side. But as the consumer of tourism, as the tourist, you're also working that out. And that's really cool. And I, I, if this series can help people start re realizing how fascinating, how intertwined tourism is to the human experience in ways that you wouldn't expect, then we're really doing something exciting. And, and uh, I really look forward to that. Excellent. Excellent. So yeah, so uh, thanks again for coming on to the podcast and you're heading off overseas in a few weeks. Hope, uh, best of luck with that as well. Thank you very much. Thanks it was great talking with you. It was great talking to you, Jonathan. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Eric. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Eric Zila, editor of the new Cornell University Press series, Histories and Cultures of Tourism. If you are interested in submitting a proposal for the series, please contact Eric, as well as Cornell's senior editor, Emily Andrew. I'll include links with each of their contact information in the podcast description. Thank you for listening to 1869 the Cornell University Press Podcast.